The Ten Commandments. Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.P. Charles Jr., author and pastor teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text out of Deuteronomy 5, Pastor Charles expounds on the Ten Commandments, including the nature of the Ten Commandments, the basis, the focus, and the response to the Ten Commandments. Today's message, the Ten Commandments. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want to work my way through the entire chapter in the course of the message, but because of the length of the text and the limitations of our time, let me read just a portion of the scripture to you, beginning at verse number one. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire And you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to label the message simply the Ten Commandments. I am a local pastor with some itinerant ministry. And as I travel to preach and teach, there are two small talk questions I often get that I struggle to answer at times. I land, get my luggage. The host is waiting for me. I get in the car. And the question, small talk question is, so how was your flight? This is a small talk question, and I answer it in kind. I read, I slept, I chatted with other passengers, but it's a struggle for me not to answer it just the way I'm thinking. Because the fact that you asking me that question is the answer to the question. It's always a good flight if it lands. I don't care about the turbulence. If I, didn't, if I got a middle seat, if it lands, it's a good flight. They take me to the room, check in, and then when they pick me up later for the meeting, here's the other small talk question. So how's, how's the hotel room? How's the accommodations? And I answer that 
knowing it's a small talk question. I don't answer that the way I'm thinking. It's a horrible room. My wife ain't here. My children ain't here. That's not my bed. I don't know who was in this room before me. (laughs) And then at the same time, if you've been in one hotel, you've been in them all. Sure, some hotels are nicer than others, but it's, it's, a, it's a bed, TV, closet, bathroom. It got me thinking. If you were to ask me what is the most memorable hotel you've stayed in, now that's an interesting question. If you asked me that question, I would answer that the most memorable hotel I've stayed in, it's a hotel I've stayed in several times. Years ago, I stayed there in Beaumont, Texas. The last time I was there a couple of years ago, the name had been changed. It's now called the Elegante Hotel. It is memorable to me, not because of anything inside of that hotel. What makes that hotel stay so memorable to me is that right next to the door, as you enter the lobby, there is etched in stone the Ten Commandments. I've never seen that any other place at a hotel. What a strange place to mount the Ten Commandments outside of a hotel entrance. A church, sure. A courthouse, maybe. A classroom, understandable. But why post the Ten Commandments at the entry of a hotel? I thought about it. And maybe the awkwardness of the location is the point of it all. Maybe the big idea is simply this. The law of God still applies wherever you are. That, friends, is the point of Deuteronomy chapter 5. The children of Israel are poised to finally go into the promised land of Canaan. They have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion. Moses, because of his sin as well, will not be permitted to lead them into Canaan. Joshua will lead them in. But Moses has the opportunity to spiritually prepare the people to take possession of the land. This is what we find in Deuteronomy. The book consists of a series of final sermons or farewell speeches that Moses gives before he dies and moves off the scene. And the helm of leadership is taken by Joshua to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. There are specifically 
three messages, sermons, addresses in Deuteronomy. Chapters 1 through 4 is a message about the past. Chapter 5 through 25 is a message about the present. And chapters 26 through 34 record a message about the future. The first four chapters are a rehearsal of God's past dealings. He begins in his first message by just reminding them of what the Lord has already done. Because you can't go forward by faith into the future if you don't remember what the Lord has already done. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 44 through 49 is a transitional passage that really is a bridge between Moses' first message and the second message. Chapters 1 through 4 are about the past, but now chapter 5 through 25, the bulk of the book, is about the present and how they are to live. In the present. Notice in verse 1 of the chapter, Moses summons the people and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. Maybe that's the key word of verse 1, today. And he will proceed in the chapter to restate the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that were initially given by God 40 years prior to this. At Mount Sinai, right when God had brought them out of Egypt. But now 40 years later, as they are poised into go into the promised land, he restates in Deuteronomy 5 these Ten Commandments saying to them, this is what you still need to hear today. Listen, you are going into a culture that doesn't believe what you believe, but the word of God has not changed. Like posting the Ten Commandments outside a Beaumont Hotel, Moses here restates the Ten Commandments to say to Israel as they go into the promised land that the law of God still applies wherever you are. In the subsequent chapters, Moses will explain the specifics of the law, what you have here. In chapter 5 is a general statement of the law. He repeats the Ten Commandments. And in so doing, I wanted you to see in this chapter Four reasons why the commandments of God still apply today wherever you are. Consider with me, first of all, the nature of the Ten Commandments. The nature of the Ten Commandments. Verses 1 through 5 introduce the restatement of the Ten Commandments that will be recorded in verses 6 through 21. Before he repeats the, the Ten Commandments, 
he makes an introductory statement about the nature of divine commandments. He teaches us something about how God speaks in his word to give direction to our lives. First thing we learn is that the law of God is binding. The law of God is binding. Look again at verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Moses has called an, an all-Israel business meeting. And he says... I have rules and statutes that I'm going to teach you. But note, verse 1, he also pre-states what they are to do with what he's going to say. They have a threefold obligation. Note them in verse 1. Hear, learn, do. He is saying God's word is binding. When God speaks, you better not ignore his word. God doesn't speak for entertainment purposes. When God speaks, you better hear what God says. But, but not just hear, learn. Learn. It's one thing to hear God's word, it's another thing to understand the meaning of the truth God speaks. We must not only hear what he says, but we must study his word and submit to his word that we might understand the meaning of God's word. But he says you're not done there. Once you hear it, you need to learn it, and once you learn it, you need to what? Do it. This is what, again, shows us that God's word is different than anything man speaks. You know, just because you read a TV guide doesn't in any way obligate you to turn on the television. Just because you read a cookbook doesn't obligate you to go to the kitchen and start cooking something, but whenever God speaks to you out of his word, you are obligated to hear, to learn, and obey. You may read a lot of books. The Bible is the only book that reads you. D.L. Moody said the Bible was not written for our information. It was written for our transformation. The law of God is binding. But not only is it binding, the law of God is abiding. It's abiding. It's perpetual. It's continual. May I even say it's unchanging. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. That's Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt. He's referring here to the Ten Commandments. But he says in verse 3, Not with our fathers did 
the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. In verse 3, Moses makes, he makes an exaggeration to get a point across. He says God didn't make the, the covenant with our father, but in a real sense, God, God did. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even if this is a specific reference to Horeb, Mount Sinai, and the initial giving of the Ten Commandments, that was 40 years before this text. The people Moses is talking to in our text were either not born yet or too young to understand. And yet, Moses says, the covenant God made at the foot of Mount Sinai 40 years ago wasn't for your fathers, it was with you. This exaggerated point is meant to say to Israel and say to us, listen, when God gives a command and instruction, you don't have the right to say, well, that was just for them back then. There's a sense in which Moses is saying, forget them. God's commandments are speaking to you. He originally stated them 40 years ago, and everyone he spoke those words to have died in the wilderness. But God is still speaking to you. Time doesn't edit God's word. We living in a different day, in a different time, a different culture. Are we? Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And in Matthew 24 verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The law of God is binding and the law of God is abiding Consider also that the law of God is holy. Verse 4, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. In chapter 4, verse 12, Moses is emphatic that when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb or Sinai, you just heard the sounds of words. You saw no voice. You only heard a voice. But you didn't see a figure, a form. You just heard a voice. But now he says... You saw God face to face, not to contradict himself, but to make a point in the language to say that God, when he gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, didn't use a mediator. God spoke directly. It was clouds and darkness and lightning and fire, and God spoke through the fire. To get the point, look at the next verse he says in verse 4. Verse 5, he says, I was just standing there between you and God. Listen to what Moses is saying. When God speaks and gives commands, you don't have the right to say, oh, that's just Moses. That's just human opinion. That's just man talking. Moses said, when y'all got these Ten Commandments, y'all know I was just standing there. God was speaking. And this is the nature of all of Scripture. The Bible, friends, is not 
I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't believe what I'm about to tell you. The Bible is not man's thoughts about God. I wouldn't commit my life to a book of opinion. And I think if a man don't believe the Bible is the word of God, he ought to get out of the pulpit. This is not man's thoughts about God. This is God's self-revelation of himself to man. If you don't like what's cooked, don't fuss at the waiter. Talk to the chef. So we see in verses 1 through 5 the nature of the Ten Commandments. But secondly, would you look with me at the basis of the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments make up the structure, the edifice, the building of a godly, holy, righteous life. What is this substance? What foundation is this edifice built on? We see in verse 6 the basis of the Ten Commandments. These words are considered a part of the Ten Commandments, but literally, verse 6 is not a commandment, it's a claim. Before God tells Israel who they are and what they are to do, he first says, let me tell you who I am and what I've already done. Verse 6, I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt out of the house of slavery. The basis of the Ten Commandments then is twofold. You see it? We're to obey God, number one, because of who God is. I am the Lord. Let me paraphrase that for you. I'm the one in charge. The obligation to obey the commands of God in Scripture are based upon divine sovereignty. You ultimately don't have control over your own life. The Lord is the one who is in charge. I am the Lord. You read Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus, and there are all these intricate commands. You don't know what they mean. They don't seem relevant to us. And you don't know why God would command something like that. But don't get, don't um, get lost amidst the trees and you miss the forest. As you read in in the law of Moses, the commands of God, you are going to run into some very weird commands. But then the command pulls out the cloud and, and you get the sunlight with the command ending by saying, do this, do that, do the other. Here's why. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Do this, don't do that. Why? I am the Lord.
The commands of God, even when they don't make sense, we are still obligated to obey them. They are for our good because we need to be reminded who's really in charge. And this helps in a hostile culture too. Okay, I'm telling you to do this. Yeah, but everybody is doing that. I don't care. I am the Lord. And so the basis of the Ten Commandments is rooted in who God is. It's also rooted in what God has done. Look at verse 6 again. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. That's more than relocation. That's deliverance. To make that clear, watch the next phrase. I brought you out of the house of slavery, bondage, and oppression. You were in Egypt, and you were miserable. You were in bondage. You were persecuted. There was nothing you could do to fix your situation, and you had lost all hope. But I brought you out. I brought you out. The basis of the Ten Commandments is what God has already done. I brought you out in the Passover when the firstborn of Egypt's families died, but I passed over your house because it had blood on the doorpost. And every year they were to observe the Passover to remember that you didn't get where you are. You weren't delivered by your own efforts or strength or resources or wisdom or ability. It was the Lord that brought you out. The same principle carries into the New Testament. Where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he, he commands us, in the New Testament, to regularly partake of the Lord's Supper so that we will remember we did not get saved because of what we did for God. We got saved because of what God did for us in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 is big. Let me tell you why it's so big. It comes before verse 7. What's the significance of that? If you're taking notes, write these three words down. Law follows grace. God doesn't say, obey my commands and I'll bring you out. If you live right, I'll bless you. 
if you do what I say, I'll show you favor. Mm -mm. He says, the reason why you ought to obey my commands is because of what I already did for you. In fact, you need to constantly remind yourself. You need to be in the community of faith so that you are constantly reminded that the Lord is God and he is the one who has redeemed you. And so I, I live for God not trying to earn favor, but because I received it when I didn't deserve it. Thirdly, consider with me the focus of the Ten Commandments. So verses 1 through 5 is an introduction to the restatement of the Ten Commandments. Verse 6 is the basis of the Ten Commandments. Now, verses 7 through 21 will state the Ten Commandments. And what I want you to see in these verses is the focus of the Ten Commandments. These commands... Teach us how to live as God's people. This is the moral law of God. But I want you to get something. We think of these as law. But when you read, and we will in just a moment, these commandments, what you'll find here is an emphasis on relationships not rules. The Ten Commandments teach us that the divine standard of a godly, righteous, holy life, a life that is pleasing to God, is relationship. And then when you consider relationship, these Ten Commandments teach us that God's standard for relationship is Love, not law. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, a scholar tries to trick Jesus into a theological debate. They wanted, they debated those, those days, what was the greatest of the, of the commandments of God in the Old Testament? Of all the things God commands in the Old Testament, which commands are greater? Are there, is there a hierarchy of commands? Are some more important than others? And the tempted trick was that in light of the debate, whatever you answered was going to be considered a wrong answer by somebody. But Jesus walks right through the trap and says the greatest command is, and quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then, you know, just to show off and say, you can't trick me, Jesus says, well, since we're here, let me give you the second greatest command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he gives the big statement. Here's the big statement. Matthew 22, verse 40. 
on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know what we call the law and the prophets? The Old Testament, 39 books. It's hard for some of us to read the Old Testament. Jesus says, I can summarize. I can give you the Cliff Notes version of the Old Testament. I can summarize it all in two commandments. Love God completely. Love your neighbor selflessly. But he says all of the commandments really get down to this essence. Loving God and loving others. And really, this is the focus of the Ten Commandments. There is a real sense, church, in which the Ten Commandments are the tender commandments that call us to love God and love others. First, there are four commands to love God. Verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so he says that, Let me show you how to love God. First of all, don't allow any rival God in your heart. No carved images. Honor my name. Work for six days and learn to take a a day where you come back and remember where your real help come from. The latter six commandments about how to love your neighbor. Here's a good place to start. Verse 16, honor your father and your mother. As the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Love God. Love others. Do you see it? There are two reasons why God gives us this this set of instructions. 
The first reason God gives these Ten Commandments, church, is to reveal our sinfulness to us. He said, well, I mean, he just rushed through the Ten Commandments like that. I agree with you. Each of these commands deserve at least one sermon by themselves. But if your heart is soft, you don't even really need a series. Just hearing me read these commandments make you feel I got a ways to go to be what God wants me to be. Just hearing them reminds us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law reveals to us our sin to bring us to an end of ourselves and to lead us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, there's a rich young ruler, young man has got it going on in his life who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he's messed up from the beginning because you can't earn an inheritance. That's a gift. Jesus knows his heart's not right. So he just tells the man, follow the Ten Commandments. Then he lists some of them. He lists the ones that talk about how to love your neighbor. And the young man had the audacity to respond by saying, is that all? I mean, if that's, if that's it, I'm going to heaven first class. I learned this back in Sunday school, and I've been obeying these commands all my life. I love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, well, man, you, you, you got it going on. You just need to do one more thing. Go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. Let the church say, huh? <laughs> the Bible says that man walked away from Jesus, sorrowful of heart because he had many possessions. Or let me say it another way. He walked away sorrowful because his many possessions had him. That story confronts us all. Because my sin is not your sin and your sin is not my sin. But all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our performance of good works can't make us right with God. Our only, <laughs> listen, I, I, I wouldn't trust the best five minutes I've lived to get me to heaven. Even at my best, I'm tainted by sin. And the law is given to remind us of our sinfulness, to confront us and to convict us of our sin, to bring us to an end of ourselves. So that when you get to an end of yourself, you stop trying to earn favor with God. You just admit you're a guilty sinner. You run to the cross. You throw yourself on the mercy of God and receive his forgiveness by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Fourthly and finally, look with me at the response to the Ten Commandments. So verses 1 through 5 is the introduction Moses gives to the Ten Commandments. Verse 6 is the foundation of the Ten Commandments, who God is, what God has done. He restates for the current generation the Ten Commandments in verses 7 through 21. Now, in the rest of the chapter, verses 22 through 29, he talks about how Israel responded when they received the Ten Commandments. And he says that to them as verse 1 says, today, noting the abiding truth of God's Word that speaks to us today about how we should respond to the God who has issued these commands. We should, first of all, stand in awe of God. That's verses 22 through 27 where Moses says, remember when y'all heard these commands, you knew it wasn't me. It was God talking through the fire. And he says, when you heard God speak, look at verse 24. He says, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we heard his voice out the midst of the fire. The Ten Commandments reveal the glory and greatness of God. These commandments speak to us today to call us to stand in awe of God. Church is fixated with all the world needs to get right. The Bible says, Peter says, judgment begins in the house of God. If it's going to be revival in the world, it's got to start with the church. And the church needs to have a higher view of God. And the Ten Commandments, we need to be reminded of them. So that we will stand in awe of God. Our new president has issued a flurry of executive orders. Notoriously, a week or so ago, he issued a travel ban restricting travel in and out of the country from seven banned nations. Last weekend, this time, there was protest and in the streets about that travel ban, but by this weekend, a federal judge in Seattle, Washington, had ordered a stay on the executive order so that the executive order has been issued but the stay blocks its enforcement. On Sunday mornings when I get up and start getting ready for church, I turn on the news briefly to catch the headlines to see if anything's going on in the world that I need to know about. This morning, they were announcing that the president sent the Department of Justice to file suit to overrule the judge that overruled the president's executive order. And he sent them back to record another brief, to submit another brief, and the judges are decided in the Ninth Circuit at some later point. Stay with me. I ain't, I ain't talking politics. I'm still talking theology. <laughs> Moses has restated these Ten Commandments for a new generation 
to say that God is the king that is not mired in bureaucracy. When he issues an executive order, nobody can stay God's commands. Now, I don't care what the culture has changed its mind about. No human decision can overrule the commandments of God. We ought to stand in awe of God. But not only should we stand in awe of God, we should walk in obedience to God. That's verses 28 through 33. Children of Israel, here, Moses says, remember, after God spoke to you out that fire, you said, if God keep talking like that, we're going we to die. So Moses, you know, you go meet with God. Come back and tell us what he says, and we'll do everything you tell us God says. Now, in verses 28 through 33, the Lord said, I heard what Israel said to you, Moses. And I'm glad this is in their heart. But look at verse 29. And I really think verse 29 is the golden verse of the chapter, even though the Ten Commandments are in this chapter. In verse 29, God says, Oh, that they have such a heart like this always to fear me and to keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. You hear what God is saying here? God's saying, I'm, Moses, I'm, I heard what they said, and I'm glad that they said they want to obey me. I'm just concerned that they talk like that in church. But it wear off when they get home. And God says, I just wish they had a heart to obey me always. You, let, me tell you, let me tell you why verse 29 is so, so profound. Because the chapter is filled with the commandments of God. And in verse 29, the God who gives commands is now making a wish. And he's saying, I just wish my people would obey my commands, not for my sake, but so that it'll go well with them. I got so much in store for them if they would just do what I command. And that's Moses' last exhortation. Look at verses 32 and 33. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, he says. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. The blessed life is the obedient life. The old song says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Many of you know my biography. My father was a pastor. I was a boy preacher, mentored under my father. And on one occasion, I had the opportunity to preach at the Baptist Minister's Conference as a teenage preacher. 
I was the, what they called the order of the day at the Baptist Ministers Conference of Los Angeles. I had the opportunity to preach to the pastors of that day. No way teenage boy preacher should have that opportunity. It was by the influence of my father that the pastors respected. And I worked all weekend on my sermon that I was to preach that Monday. By Sunday afternoon, I'd gone over the message a few more times and was now resting and relaxing in my bedroom until my nephew burst into my bedroom, my oldest sister's son, who's actually almost two years older than I am, and my sister let him use the car. And he came to pick me up and said, come on, Junior, let's go hang out for a while. <laughs> I said, hey, man, uh, there's no way, there's no way my dad's going to let me out tonight. I already know what he's going to say if I ask him. We went back and forth, and when, when he couldn't convince me, he said, well, man, just walk me out to the car. And when I got out to the car, the car wasn't empty. It was others in the car, including this girl I liked. I said, let me go in there and see if your dad is going to let me go on out. I went and asked if I could go out, and my, my dad said exactly what I knew he was going to say verbatim. He had said it to me multiple times. Son, you need to sit down and be quiet and consecrate yourself so the Lord can use you. I already knew what he was going to say, and he said it. I took that long walk out to go tell him I couldn't go. Then I saw that girl again. And I said, well, let me, let me go see what else I can do. And somehow, all of a sudden, I just got hungry. Dad, I'm starving. They just going to eat. They going to so-and-so place to eat. Can I go with them to eat? We'll be back after we eat. I told him where I was going, told him when I would be back. He said, son, make sure you are back so that you're ready to preach tomorrow. When I got in the car, I mean, we wasn't down the street. I'm already having a good time. It's like a prisoner getting out of jail. And I said, well, look, you know, if we just stop at the drive-thru, and pick up food and eat it on the way, we can go somewhere else and just hang out. And we did. Late. Way over time, I finally slipped back into the house. And my father was there waiting. to render punishment, not Mount Calvary punishment, Mount Sinai, Old Testament law punishment, you know. <laughs> and I was like on punishment forever. And it's like he kept adding stuff. Whatever else he could think to take away and whatever way he could find to make life difficult for me and this just started feeling like cruel and unusual punishment. And I, I finally, I just couldn't believe my dad was being so mean and so 
no, not, won't understand and so harsh and so cruel. And I went to my mom to get him off of me. And she told me what my dad had not told me and what my dad never told me. That when I didn't show up when I was supposed to, my father assumed the best and concluded immediately that I wasn't back when I said I would be back because something bad had happened. And after a long day of preaching, he got dressed again, got in his car, and was driving around the community, even went to the police station and to the nearest hospital because he assumed for me not to show up, something had to have happened to his son. And at a certain point, he finally gave up and went back home to go to bed. And not long after he got home, my mother said, is when I slipped back in the house. It's one of the lowest points of my life. Where I was accusing my dad of being cruel and mean and harsh, not knowing that his actions were not because he was mean and trying to stop me from having fun. It was because he loved me and was trying to protect me. And my daddy's love is just a tiny miniature picture of the love God has shown for rebellious sinners through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.